I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Today, my guest is Jamal Atkins. How are you, big fellow? I'm good, Doug, man. I'm good to see you. Uh, it's been a long time since we've talked or seen each other, so this is, this, is a, this is a treat for me, actually. Jamal and I go back 20 years, I guess, to Shenandoah University when it was just a small little thing. Jamal, I don't know when the last time you've been back is. It's been a while for me, but apparently Winchester and the whole thing is just blown up into some kind of metropolis. Yeah, it's it's getting there, man. The, the campus has changed. I go back often because my my son lives there, um, and okay. I used to go back and talk to the team sometimes. Um, I've even met the new the new coach that we have there now. He's pretty pretty cool guy. Um, the new facility is crazy. I haven't been to a game in it yet, but uh, it's it's nice. And um, there that road that used to come down off of the hill past uh, what was it Bob Bob Evans or something like that. Yeah, is is now cut off and it's part of the campus, so you can't even go that way anymore. Like that, where, where the TV station was and all, it's all like one big, one big right. campus now. So it's pretty, pretty cool to see. And the, the like the emergency fire station that was out near the corner is is one of our school buildings. So it's good to see the growth, and uh, it's a lot of students there too, man. A lot. They've uh, they've come a long way since they shacked us up in. Uh and hotel rooms <laughs> yeah yeah uh it was crazy to to move into a hotel my, my first my first year in uh in college a year and a half and then we went from there to gore funkhausen which was i don't know if that was a move up or down but it was a move nonetheless you know it, it was a move yeah for sure uh we'll get to your world travels i see that it has not knocked out the long ease from baltimore from, from you I don't think it ever will. <laughs> I, don't, I still get teased about that, man, but I, I don't think it ever will. Uh, I don't, I don't right, say so, Doug anymore. I say dog now. And you're making strides. Doug. Yeah, little bit by little bit. I guess by the time I'm 80, I'll be able to say the short E. So uh, I'm curious how a man with a communications degree from Shenandoah University via Baltimore, Maryland, ended up with a systems integration business in uh, Zambia, Zambia, right? Yeah, in Zambia, yep. <clears throat> Excuse me, so I would say um, I, I ended up in Zambia through my work uh, with youth and basketball. So the, the, the integration business came, came along with my skill set. Um, you know, even when I was in school, you know, I built a lot of sound systems and I did a lot of wiring for different things. Um, and I built this the skill set for security systems off of understanding wiring and and how to and how to you know diagram a system out. Um, same way I did with audio systems, it's pretty much self-taught. Uh, and after I began to to reach the threshold of my self-teaching, I started to take courses um, in in different forms of of security, uh, biometric entry. Um, then, you know, I've done some, some photovoltaic work, uh, PV work with, with solar cells and backup systems, which is a really big problem in Zambia. Uh, you know, we had scheduled load shedding. Uh, so every day we're off 
you know, eight hours or more. Sometimes we're off for two, three days of power. Um, so building backup power to be able to be comfortable at home and, and run a business was important. So we, we began to build systems. And then, you know, I, I started to do it at a, at a rate that we got hired to help people perfect their systems and off of perfecting their systems, we started to design new ones. Now, it's, uh, it's interesting for me, uh, and I think most Americans are the same, where we kind of look at Africa as a country and not a continent. I'm curious what some of the biggest adjustments were when you got to Zambia. Well, and, uh, and how big is Zambia as a country? Uh, 17 million people. Um, it, it's a big landmass but um, there's concentrated in a few areas. So there's a lot of land that, that doesn't have, have people on it, you know? Um, there's still a lot of plains, a uh, great deal of water. Um, you know, the, the largest water, or one of the largest waterfalls in the world, um, definitely deepest and, and widest, uh, Victoria Falls. So there's a lot about the land that is I would say in, inhabitable because you can't live in the middle of the water, you know, um, or living in the middle of one of the plains. It, it's possible people did it, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago, but it's, you're very disconnected from anything. So there's still a lot of land in Zambia that's like that. So you can, you know, drive for 10 hours and in that 10 hour drive, like where I, I posted that video, I hope you got a chance to see it of the work I was doing that was 14 and a half hours drive from Lusaka, which is the capital city. So most of the time I went out there, we just took a private jet, landed on the military base and, and went in from there because of the, you know, more than half a day to get out there. Now, size-wise, we're talking about the United States or no, Texas? No, no like- Double like, the US? Yeah, no, 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 not that big, not that big. The continent right, okay. is bigger than the States, but let's see, I would give it, a little smaller than Texas. It's probably okay. a little smaller than Texas, but the shape is closer to the shape of California. So it's elongated. It's not very okay. wide, yeah, but it's, it's, it's a long country. So I was driving not fully from the South, but the Southern region of the country to the North, the far Northwestern region of the country, which gave me that long uh, distance uh, drive. And it's on the coast or landlocked? It, uh, we, we like to call it a uh, land linked because it's connected to it's, it's seven bordering countries. So um, it's not on the coast. It is in the heart of the continent, but it has a number of bordering countries. And, you know, it's one of the major um, outlets of the Nile. OK. Uh, and one of your passions there, you got uh, I met you at Shenandoah because you were there on a basketball scholarship. Uh, yeah. Basketball is one of your passions, I know. And yeah. so you founded a basketball academy. Is that right? Yeah. So when I left Shenandoah um, with uh, playing ball, um, I moved to Florida, to Tampa, to work in AmeriCorps to teach uh, struggling readers, second through fifth grade uh, readers, uh, trying to get them up to par with their classmates. Uh, it was one of the best things I've ever done, but it kind of infected me with the bug of doing more youth work. We did some youth work at the, you know, at the children's home and 
and at the out, out at the school there in, in Winchester. And I did it a lot when, you know, growing up in recreation and parks in Baltimore, but doing it as my primary uh, when I got to Tampa, it, it made me see a lot of things, you know, a lot of similarities, but also some differences. And I got bit with the bug, you know. Um, so I only worked in the school system for that one year down in Tampa, but for the next three years, I was there for a total of four, a little over four years. I worked in community centers, um, the Shriners Hospital, uh, the Children's Home, which is a home for uh, young people who have been removed from their homes due to uh, domestic violence or, or uh, kind of like a DCFS issue, you know, the reason why kids get removed. And I just, um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my system. Um, and my last year and a half there in Tampa, uh, I was working with this high school called Sickles High School. Um, Sickles High School is in their basketball program. And from, from that basketball program, I met a guy who was a coach with me there. And he convinced me to, uh, he was like, man, we should travel a little bit. You know, we're off this time. You know, when, when summer comes, let's, let's travel. I have a friend in Germany, you know, she, she'll put us up. We can go and stay with her for a while. Let's go check it out. And I was like, you know, I got a homeboy who played college with me, being Ron, you know, Ron Merriweather, yep. uh, who's from Germany. Let me reach out to him and see if he's there. And I reached out to Ron, he was there. So I went out to Germany for a little while. We uh, got a chance to see the country, Amsterdam, hung out with Ron a bit. And um, the, the international bug kind of bit me. And I was like, I wanted to see what else was in the world, you know? Um, and, and from there coming back, I got the opportunity or was, was uh, informed of the opportunity to do a youth life skills program based around basketball in Durban, South Africa. Um, and that's what took me to the continent. And the, the reason why I started with that part of the story is because Durban, South Africa is kind of like Tampa or Miami, Florida. So the, the system that, that I found in Zambia is, is drastically different than what you find in South Africa. South Africa is um, you know, a country with major cities. It looks a lot like one of our cities. You know, McDonald's and Burger King and Krispy Kreme and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so it was it, a lot of people on the continent called South Africa, Africa light, meaning you don't get the whole African experience if you go to an established city. You, right. you have to leave that city to, to, you know, get what our image or what our thought processes are of what that Africa is. Um, so that's where I started in Durban and went to Johannesburg from there. And then um, almost two years later, a year and some later is when I went to Zambia. And that was, whoa, that was different, you know? <laughs> right. I lived 18, 18 hours from here to Zambia? Uh, that's straight hours. It takes about 23 or so, uh, 23, 24, you know, with the planes and the changes and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that, it is. That's about right, about 18 hours. Anywhere from 16 to 18, depending on what state you're flying from. But from our area, because we fly out of Dulles, which uh, most most people in our area would fly out of Dulles, it will, it will take about 18, 18 and a half. And they have a, uh, a summer and a winter. What's the weather like over there? Um, yes, winter is very short though, but not like snow winter, just colder. You know, yeah. not, it, does, it doesn't get to, but they have a season that we really don't have, which is rainy season. And the rainy season means it rains almost every day. 
And sometimes it rains for three days straight, um, which is, I guess, in terms of being in climate weather is what we would compare to our winter because it slows everything down, you know, got to put on more clothes and things like that. So you have packed it up from Zambia and are now in Switzerland. <clears throat> yes. And so as I understand to... it, the COVID has kept you from starting the basketball camp up there. Your wife uh, travels with you now, yes? And that's how you ended up in Switzerland? Yes, um, actually this time around, I'm, I'm traveling with my wife. <laughs> right. So she, she, got a, she got a gig with, uh, with the Global Fund here. She, work, she works in, in uh, adolescent youth, um, adolescent girls health. Um, and she took a position with the Global Fund, which is continuing the work that she's been doing professionally for over 20 years. Um, and in this regard, I'm a traveling spouse. So uh, I'm here trying to find my feet and what it is I want to do in, in Switzerland. And of course, I gravitate towards basketball and development with youth through basketball. But because of COVID, like you said, we, we spend all day in the house. I, I get out so I can walk my dog. I don't know where he was right here, but he just, he just left. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my day. Now, uh, Anybody that's married knows that those first couple of years can be wonderful, but also full of challenges. I'm curious what the extra challenges are traveling the world with your with your partner, with your with your wife. Excuse me. Thank you. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it's it's challenging, but we we dated across the world for two years, so. You know, every few months we would see each other uh, somewhere on the continent of Africa. She was working because she worked in global health. So, you know, she would come onto the continent and then I would fly to that country or I would come to the United States and we would spend time um, together in the States. She's also from Maryland, from Columbia, Maryland, which is a blessing. So when we're in the States, our respective, you know, born homes, we were 25 minutes away. Um, so... Like the traveling part, we both kind of understood travel and we traveled a lot together before we were married, um, you know, two weeks at a time, a week at a time um, to different places. We probably, I think now we've been to seven countries together. Um, so we, we travel a lot. Travel is our life. Uh, moving to a new country, however, is different. Um, my wife knew of Switzerland, she had worked here a lot. She she loves this place, um, so it was kind of one of the things on her bucket list to spend extensive time in Switzerland. And it was not ever in my thought process until I met her. So it's it's been a little tougher for me, but you know, adjusting and adapting is just something that I've been able to do. So I'm just blessed to be here. Really allows you to break out the Tims and those old bubble coats. You know what? I gave every last one of them away, man. Didn't need them <laughs> in just, Africa, did you? Not at all. Although everybody wears Timberlands, but I was just like, it's crazy. Like they're absolutely useless here. So I gave, I gave, so a lot of my kids got my boots, you know, they were happy to have them. I got some big kids that I work with. They were happy to have them. So I mean, literally we are still waiting for our big shipment of our stuff to come. So I'm, I'm still waiting for my boots. I have some low cuts, uh, you know, like uh, Under Armour, kind of kind of 
hiking and I'm, I'm pretty much wearing them all the time. Um, but the bubble coat thing, man, I was like, all right, it'll be all right. You know, sweatshirt, whatever. I was wrong. <laughs> I was really wrong. We've bought like three coats since I've been here already because it's, it's crazy. Now, if yeah. soccer, if we, if we uh, recognize that soccer is the biggest sport in the world, is basketball second now? Um, I would say yes. It's 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 second. Uh, it's probably a distant second, even though it's yeah. second. You know, because soccer soccer is just so so big. Um, but it's the largest. Hard growing for people to realize how big world. soccer is globally that from America, right? I think I think people would be surprised that yeah. it, how big it is and how rabid the fans are across the world, right? Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't really know anything about uh, as as being attached to a team in the United States as as uh, people do with soccer in different parts of the world. Europe being the the epicenter of that, um, you know, Spain. But people here, you know, they they've grown up in a specific system. You know, like there is no there there might be three people who were born in Manchester that like a different team. You know, literally, there may be three people. Um, I don't know who those three people are, though, because people ride with their team forever. They grow up in the system from, you know, under eights to tens to twelves to fourteens. When you play, you play Manchester football, or you play Chelsea football, or you, you know, you play uh, uh, what's Real Madrid football, and you just stick to that. If you decide you want to play basketball, you still play for Real Madrid. You just play Real Madrid basketball. Right. You know, it's like right. it's a club system. It's not just a sports system. And it's it's been it's been something to learn, man, to, to learn and see uh, how people really stick, you know. And, you know, teams have been bad for 50 years. But you say something bad about them in the wrong part of town, you got a problem, you know. <laughs> so it's it's uh, they, they are real sports fans over here, man. And are you able to keep up with the American sports over there? How, how challenging is that? Um, it's been challenging at times. Uh, I, I do have NBA League Pass. Uh, there's no way possible I could breathe if I didn't have NBA League Pass. Um, football has been more difficult. For many years, ESPN showed in um, Africa, in, in Zambia, uh, I know we think ESPN is like, you know, the thing, but ESPN is a fraction of super sport. You know, super sport is way larger than ESPN. And they kind of got rubbed out because wasn't enough people watching it, you know? So they dropped ESPN from the satellite package and then we just struggled. So for two years, maybe three, the only way I got sports was uh, YouTube highlights. You know, I could only see the the rundown of the game. And then, um, you know, I, I, I got onto League Pass and started to watch, but the games come on at three in the morning. So for four or five straight years, you know, I'm, I'm up at 3.30, 4 o'clock watching the game. And then I just go to work after. I don't even go back to sleep. You know, I just straight through. Uh, that was, that's the only way you can get it because by the time you wake up in the morning and 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 try to watch it, you're going to be watching the same thing, just the highlights. You don't actually get to see the game. Uh, there is no no you know way to run it back. So, league pass was a saving grace. <laughs> you're in Switzerland now. What does the basketball look like there? Do they have 
are they up? I mean, again, I know Europe is wrought with basketball all over the place and they, and they love it. I'm curious what the scene looks like there in Switzerland. Well, again, um, I haven't been able to do too much because, you know, the country's on lockdown because of COVID. Um, but I have made some contacts in basketball. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a brother here from Oklahoma who played pro ball here in Switzerland some years ago, and he has a training academy um, really similar to what I was doing in Southern Africa based in Zambia. Um, and I've been able to go out and meet him, see him at the gym. Um, he, he actually had a session going on and the other gym wasn't being used. So he let me come in and shoot, you know, so I stayed in the gym for an hour, a little more than an hour and just put up a couple hundred shots. I hadn't touched the ball in months. Um, the last year and a half, I've been dealing with injuries. You know, I, I got tore my ACL um, and had to get ACL surgery, had to get it fully reconstructed and get part of my, uh, my meniscus removed. So I'm just getting back to being fully, well, I would say for, for some months now, but again, we haven't been able to do anything because of COVID, you know, like since I tore my ACL, I've never played whole court basketball, which was August 31st, 2019. Um, so you know, like it, it's been a while. It's been over a year. I've played half court a couple times to just try and, you know, check and see what my mobility is like. So I'm looking forward to getting back into the, uh, getting back into the flow here once we can. What do people say to you when uh, they find out you're American? Um, I guess here, not a whole lot yet, because we don't get to see very many people again because of COVID, you know, like, so it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of different, but in, in Africa, um, I very rarely came across, or, or I guess I did come across people who didn't know me, uh, but generally they're not people that do anything with sport because everybody in this, in sport, especially in basketball in the region knows me or knows of me um, because of the work I did in life skills. Uh, so they really more want to talk about the sport, but when people meet me for the first time and hear I'm from um, America, it's a range of things. I, I would tell you in the last four years, there've been some really frustrating conversations um, just, just because of, of dealing with our, our, uh, our president, you know? So a lot of the conversations start out nice, but it was really, you know, people wanting to take a jab at, at me being American uh, and having to deal with him being the president. But you kind of take it with a grain of salt because I also think he's an idiot. So I was just like, I can't really argue with you because I agree, you know? Yeah. Uh, have you been able to keep up with your Ravens? I know you love the Ravens and yeah. Lamar Jackson. That was so close. Was, I figured you was going to throw that in there. So close. Um, that's all right though. Like we, we ride with our team, man. I, I wish we could have won that game. But it wasn't. It wasn't in the. Uh, it wasn't in the books. And ultimately, as much as you know, being a fan, you're like, come on, man, get in the game. You know that next hit could have put them out the game forever. So them keeping them out for concussion protocol is the right way. Uh, my son played football. Um, he played. He finished. He played there in Hanley in Winchester, but he finished in uh, in, in Florida. And you know, I got to go and see some games. I got to see his last high school game. I flew from Africa 
to Maryland, flew from Maryland down to Tampa, Orlando area, then drove down to Clewiston where he was. You know, it was like a two and a half day trip to go and watch a game. And I knew he was pretty good because he had stayed a couple summers with my mom in Baltimore and everybody was like, bro, your son is balling. But it was my first time watching him. And man, it's kind of crazy to uh, to be a father or watching football. Cause I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a football player. I play lacrosse, so that's some hard hitting, but it's different. And so I felt kind of like, uh, I don't know, I felt a little crazy because every time he hits him, you know, hit somebody hard, cause he's he's uh, playing playing outside linebacker, you know, I jump up, yeah, good hit, and I'm like, please get up, please get up, you know, like don't don't be hurt. So I was like, this is it's crazy. I have to say, I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't. I wasn't there to go to every game because I don't know if I could handle it. It's that's a really the collisions, man. Like when you're young and you and no matter what you break, it it fixes by Thursday kind of thing. You know, you're like, oh, I'll be all right. I'll be all right by Thursday. After knowing what injuries can do to people, it, it was very hard to watch. But I knew it was his love and his passion. So I wanted to support it. But it, it's hard, man. Football is a dangerous sport, bro. There's two things I don't think people realize until you're close to the action is one, how loud and how vicious those hits are when you get down in the field. And two, yeah. I think will always surprise people is, is how forceful upper level basketball players dribble the ball. Like if you're in an open gym set, yeah, just how violently the ball gets dribbled. I think that's something that people don't realize unless you spend a lot of time in gyms or on the sideline of a football field. Yeah, um, some years ago, we were in South Africa for the uh, Basketball Without Borders camp, which is one of NBA's initi initiatives to uh, find um, young talent. Um, you know, like Joel Embiid. I remember when Joel Embiid was a scrawny little kid and could barely catch the ball in, in, um, in BWB and Pascal Siakam and Bismarck Biombo. You know, I got to see these guys and I get to talk with them, um, you know, yearly. But, you know, a few years ago, I think it was 2013 or so, 2013, 12, one of them. I, I've pretty much been going to the camps for years to because I prep a player from Zambia so that he can come down and represent Zambia in the camp. And, you know, it's basically the top 100 high school players on the continent are brought together for a uh, camp. And. My, my young man, um, I would always find one that gets to go to that camp. So I was there, man, and I was, uh, you know, talking with Kyrie, and I was like, yo, I know people say you quit, but, you know, I'm trying to see for real, for real. He was like, all right, let's go. Man, one crossover. I was like, we done. You know, <laughs> we only had to do that no more. You're not going to make me look bad in front of all these kids. It's not going to happen. Uh, but then you get to see – Dikembe and you know he's larger than life even now where he barely stands up straight but firstly he's the nicest guy in the world and his hands like when he shakes your hands his fingers are like near you, the middle of your forearm he's, he's so big you know um, but it, it's it's crazy how much how quickly and, and how strong the guys are you know when you start playing at a, at a higher level um, and getting the chance to play in the FIBA system, uh, and I've played and represented uh, regionals and different countries that I've been over here playing with with teams, and we get to play against like the Angola team and Mozambique, and been in tournaments with a team from Kenya and Cameroon. Man, that dude's a big bro. Like, 
And a seven foot, 280 pound African dude is not to be played with at all. <laughs> I bet. At all. Uh, what, uh, who lames claim to uh, the best basketball players in the country there? I'm, I'm sure, uh, or on the continent, I'm sure each country uh, argues about who's putting out the best talent. Uh, where do you see that? Well, I would, I would say on continent, Angola, because they have won, I think, 13 out of the last 15 Afro baskets. Um, so they got the trophies to prove it. Um, but I would say you have to count Tunisia, uh, Cameroon, Nigeria, uh, in any order, depending on who you're talking to. But if, if I would say on continent, it's definitely Angola. No one is touching them on continent. They've only lost two Afro baskets, one um, to Nigeria, which was led by um, uh, Al Farouk Aminu, and then um, one to Tunisia, which was led by uh, Salah Mezri, which are both NBA stars, you know? So you understand how those teams beat them. But besides that, it's, it's, it's all them. Is, this, is the style the same? Have they taken on the new, I, I guess the new NBA has taken on more of a European approach anyway with the shit. Yeah, I, I was um, going to say it's, it's more, it's more uh, European style basketball, um, which is highly technical, but their base, let me see how I can say this. The base of FIBA basketball, which is technical basketball, is now combining the athleticism that we've been able to dominate with as American basketball for so long, which is why you have so many European players doing so well in the NBA because they, you know, they're groomed in a system that is, you know, attention to detail, highly technical, and then they get coaches that bring them up to speed with the physicality and the, the flexibility, um, the flow of basketball that we play in the U.S. It's it's really difficult. And then another layer I'll add to it is, you know. 80% of the guys coming out of Europe who play high level basketball used to play soccer. So right. they have that body, you know, it, you know, soccer is East to West and basketball is North to South, but you get a guy who could play soccer at a high level and he's used to running East to West. It's almost impossible to go past him because that his body is already set up. His muscle groupings work in that way and it gives them a, an extreme advantage. It has been all but a guarantee of recent years in the NBA that you have to have a big three to compete. I'm curious what the rest of the world sees it as that is. Is that something that is spread uh, or is that something that's kind of frowned upon? I think um, the, the European system for many years was, was designed to stop the big three um, because it, it wouldn't allow most, most leagues, you couldn't have more than two foreign players, you know? So they're like, you could have these two guys, but everybody else needs to be from here. Germany, Amsterdam, you know, Holland, or wherever, whatever country you're in. <clears throat> it is now changed, but I still think they play in a system where they want an ultra fast guard, you know, just in case the ball's getting trapped or something. Um, 
one or two stretch shooters or, or knockdown shooters, and then everybody else except for one big man or two big men are stretch players. They can guard anybody. They can play anywhere on the floor. Um, they all handle the ball. So seven-foot guys handling the ball is kind of normal. If you got a seven-foot guy playing in European basketball, he can dribble because since he was three feet, he's been taught every step of the element of basketball. It wasn't like you're a big guy, go down there, you're never going to, you know, shoot. They get they get taught all of it from the beginning, you know. So that's why you get like a guy like Nikola Jokic, and you like this dude shouldn't be. I mean, he's slow. He don't jump, but he's still almost impossible to stop. You know, um, you find you find that Clint Capella, who's actually from here in Switzerland, he played in a system that allowed him to handle the ball when he was young. So he don't do a lot of dribbling now, but he can. And he understands how to play from that perspective. Yeah, that's really good insight on on why the European guys have been able to, uh, and a lot of them just jump right into the league, right? Because they've been playing pro over there since they were teenagers, right? That's something different that the rest <laughs> of the world does. They early on recognize what you're good at and make sure that they make you as good as you can be. And yeah, right. And they- yeah, and they don't have the school system like we've had with the NCAAs. So, like, guys go to school here and, you know, 15, 16 are in school but are also playing professional basketball. Right. So they go to class like everybody else, but then after that, they're, you know, they're taking, they're taking the rest of their day in the gym or with a trainer or with a dietitian or something, and that's normal. That part is what's enhancing our game and why you see – you know, guys coming out of high school now um, getting to the league because we're now adding that part to it where they're getting uh, tutelage that is professional from the beginning. They're not saying, you know, play high school, go to college and learn how to play and then, you know, spend a couple of years in, in, in college learning how to play and then you come to the pros and we'll make you a pro. Now these guys are getting pro trainers at 16, which is, been helpful to to the way I train because that's basically what I do. I take kids that have an opportunity, have, you know, firstly, you can't teach height. So if I find a guy 6'9, 6'10, 6'11, and he's, you know, 16, 17, like I got a kid right now who's uh 2.3 meters. So, you know, he's seven foot already. He turned 16 on the 25th of this month. Um, he's a big kid. I can't teach height. I can only teach him how to use his height. So with, with that, we're starting to see that, that come into play and, and the, the students getting the opportunity to learn all of the skills early. And I kind of took that um, into my, my methodology for coaching. I teach everybody everything. Um, now, some people are specialists. Some guys, are, you know, you can tell by the way they hold the ball that they're going to be really good shooters. So you make sure that you know, he shoots the ball even more so he, he can he can get a, a, a really good uh, jump shot. But there is the, the separation that it was the way it was taught when we were young is, is not like that anymore. Jamal, I could do this all day with you. I'm so glad that we lined this up. And um, yeah, hopefully too. once COVID's down and you get the academy up and going, we'll get you back on and chat about it and some more NBA. 
that would be great. Hey, buddy. So my, my dog just showed up. Let's see if I, I'm going to move the camera. Let's see if I can show you. The dog. Thank you. Come here. Uh, he's not interested. <laughs> he took off. He's not Mine interested. I just ran outside, too. Yeah, I got a uh, an eighty some odd pound Staffordshire Terrier, so he's it's a pretty pretty big dog. Um, but I, I miss taking him out for uh, for runs. And we had a big yard; he could run around and chase birds and everything. And now he has to be on a leash every day, so he's not loving it either. But uh, we'll find a way. Jamal, we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, bud. For sure, man. Have a good day, Doug. Thanks for reaching you out too. and keep doing what you're doing. Love you, man. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Peace.